and so that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without his will, the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yet all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Question two. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Answer three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. So far. The theme for tonight is the doctrine of the only comfort through Christ. The doctrine of the only comfort through Christ. With the help of the Lord, three thoughts. In the first place, the only comfort. Secondly, paid for by Christ. And in the third place, the biblical doctrine. The doctrine of the only comfort through faith, through, through Christ. The only comfort paid for by Christ and biblical doctrine. Congregation, what is your only comfort? That's a very special question this evening. Do you have a real comfort? Do you have a faith, a true faith, a saving faith that comforts you, that helps you to be comforted? Or is your doctrine and your religion just cold and without comfort? Well, we find many times the word comfort in our Heidelberg Catechism. It's called the Comfort Book. It's one of those themes through the entire book of the Heidelberg Catechism. The Comfort Book. Comfort. And what is comfort? And why do we need it? So literally in the Hebrew language... To comfort means to get someone over it. Something is stuck. Something you, you can't continue. And to be helped over it. And in the Greek language, comfort means to come alongside. To talk to you personally. To comfort you verbally. So without that comfort... Something is bothering us. We fear. And you may try to get over it yourself. Or someone helps you and talks to you and you you help to get over that. And there are things in this life we never will get over completely. And when you're over it, it does not bother you so much anymore. You can sleep again. It's not so much in your face anymore, but you accept the situation or you see the thing in a different light. Children can seem comfortless, and mothers and fathers can often calm them down in a minute or two, and it's over there, over it. It's worse, of course, that you lose a spouse, a child, or when you come yourself to the end of your life. Nothing can get you over that, you might think. But what a blessing if you have to die, when you lose people, 
if the Lord helps you to really get over it, not in the sense that you have forgotten it, you don't want to forget, but that the pain is also less and that you can accept it from the hand of the Lord. David sings about it in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. What is that? The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are the tools of a shepherd. So the one who had a rod and a staff was a shepherd. So it is about shepherd's comfort. I will fear no evil, thy rod and thy staff, thy shepherd, that God being a shepherd, comforts me. He leads me. He helps me. He protects me. So therefore, no evil is feared. I will fear no evil. In this comfort is also God's care and his presence. Do we need that? Do you think you might need it someday, that you have to die someday? We have to, right? May you have to suffer, maybe you have to suffer heavily losses, and are we prepared? Do we have the true and only comfort in life, but also in death, not after this life, but in this life, not after death, but in death, in the process of dying, the direct body and soul, both in life and death. You know about the Apostle Paul. He writes in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So he could accept it. He could give it over in the hands of the Lord. And the Lord let him get over it. And the Lord spoke to him and came alongside. I think of Job. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. People can't really comfort. We have such a hard time doing that. You have to really know the situation. And we too quickly often say, I know how you feel. And maybe we don't at all. We don't know the situation. Or we throw Bible texts at people. And they feel bombarded by all those texts. And they don't receive a comfort from them. But when the Lord speaks, when he opens his word, that's different. The comfort of God is deep. And also of Christ, he empathizes. Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but does in our points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So the Lord Jesus has experienced all the hardship, all the loneliness, all the hellish agonies. He knows. He knows what life is about. He experienced it himself in his human nature. So he understands, and he can give that comfort. Stronger, there might be more comfort when you are struggling than before. Let me give an example for the children. When do you see the moon? Very clearly. At night or during the day? At night, of course, Pastor. At night you see the moon. During the day you can hardly see it. Maybe you see a little bit of it. It's not so bright. It's kind of fading. Yes. So in order to see the moon, there needs to be darkness. And that's also often in the life of God's people. It needs to be dark in order to see the light, in order to have the comfort. It can be so beneficial to have darkness it shows you the light. It shows you the comfort in life and death. Again, not comforted after this time and after life, but during this life and in death. 
2 Corinthians 1, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So the Apostle Paul was comforted. And because he received comfort, he could also comfort others. With that experiential comfort, he had been comforted himself. And that's an essence. And people went through difficult times themselves in their situation, in, their, in, in, the, in the job, financially, also in their marital status. And maybe, maybe they, can, they can understand and they can empathize and can comfort. Especially if you may have that comfort in all your tribulation. 2 Corinthians 7, great is my boldness in speech towards you. Great is my glory of you. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. So in the tribulation, being filled with comfort, that is the only comfort the Lord can do that. That you just are so sad and so overwhelmed and so down. And he comes with the only comfort. And you are really comforted with the full comfort that you, you, you cannot receive more comfort. To be comforted by the Lord means that we do not fear. We don't tremble. Psalm of David, the Lord, is my, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though in host should encamp against me, whole army, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. So the Bible speaks about a comfort that takes the fear away. Because who would you fear? What would you fear if the Lord is with you and the Lord comforts you and he makes it well for you? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? It is so calm. There is no worries anymore. Even if the whole world is against you, the whole army is against you, who will I fear? What can man do unto me? Comfort is promised to all that know repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you need that? We should seek that, right? We should seek that only comfort. Therefore, we need to repent. We need to confess our sins. We need to approach to the Lord with a broken heart. Not to deserve anything, not to gain anything, not to be rewarded, but yet they need that. This comfort comes with love. The Lord loving his people, loving the person that is comforted. It comes with tender care, and not a hair can fall from your head, head without God's will. And God assures even of eternal life. So who would not like to have such proper rights to such blessings? Don't we need that only comfort? Because we don't know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know what's being taken away from us. Maybe our health. Maybe our beloved ones. Maybe different disasters. So we need that comfort. Especially for the time that we are leaving this life and must stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. So therefore the prophet Isaiah could speak about that to the people also going into captivity. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. See this, my people, comfort them. Saith your God. God's children may also comfort one another. The Bible says, Therefore comfort one another with these words, comforting from both sides, 
comforting the Lord gives also in friendship. In all comfort, let's go to the second part, paid by Christ. What is the heart? What is the core of the only comfort the Lord gives? What is the summary of that? Well, the heart of it is that we do not belong to ourselves. They belong to the Lord, to the faithful Father, that He owns us, that we are His. We can say, My God, my Father. That's the heart of this comfort. Many in today's world are convinced that they are their own boss, and they can do whatever they want with their own life. They can apply for suicide because it's their life. And even some think that they have the power over babies in the womb because it's their body. No, it isn't. That baby is not their body. That is a baby. That's a different individual. So they don't own them. However, the Word of God teaches us that God has created all things and everything belongs to Him in a sense. Everything. All people belong to the Lord and owe to the, owe the Lord the highest respect. He owns the stars. He, he owns the mountains, the oceans, the fish, the birds, even all people. And yet, although all things are his property, the Lord has in a special sense also his people. And he comforts them. Be in the first place, think of the people of Israel again. But then also we think of what's called in the Bible a peculiar people. Do you remember reading that? A peculiar people? What is that? Peculiar person. He's, he's weird. Strange. Absolutely unusual. That is peculiar in today's language. But in the Bible times, in the translation times, in the 1600s, the word peculiar meant something else. It meant, it meant outstanding. It meant some jewelry or so, something like jewelry. Something very expensive. So the Lord has a special peculiar people. Especially expensive people. He paid for them. They're his property in the deepest sense. Let me show you from the Bible. Two texts. And more, two texts. Titus 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us. The Lord Jesus giving himself, sacrificing. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us. From all our iniquity, how precious. Redeem from all iniquity and purify unto himself. See that unto himself. Don't forget about that. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So the Lord has the peculiar people. Do you belong to that people? That is God's jewel, God's apple of the eye, God's peculiar people. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, chosen from eternity, a royal priesthood. Your royalty, you are also priest. And holy nation, set apart by the Lord, a peculiar people. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See? So the heart of that true comfort, that only comfort, that unique comfort, that full comfort, 
is to belong to the Lord, to be part of his peculiar people, to be a jewel in the hand of the Lord. God's people are jewels in the hands of the Lord. The Lord Jesus paid the price. God's children have been purchased not with silver and gold, but have been paid for by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, it says. Let's talk about that. See the lamb that was picked by the fathers a few days before the Passover feast, and they looked at the flock and they saw all those lambs and all the sheep and also the, those of the lambs, and they had to find one without blemish and without spot. So it had to be perfect. No e-missing, not limping, nothing like that, not sickly. It had to be a real, good, beautiful lamb. The highest quality. It might have been tempting to say, well, I don't want to lose that beautiful animal. Let me just give something else to the Lord. But no, the Lord wanted the best. And that was, in a way, therefore expensive, right? And so the Lord Jesus, the most perfect lamb, and he paid the price. He was slain. He gave his blood. And giving his blood means that he has given his life. His life for the payment of his people. Christ sacrificed himself. He was the worthy lamb. He paid not for the possibility of salvation. No. No? You know, so the Lord Jesus paid the price, and then he paid the price that you can be saved or that you will be saved. Armenians say the Lord Jesus paid the price, so now you can be saved by just willing it, by choosing it, by taking it. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus paid not only to make salvation possible, but to make salvation real. To really save a person. He paid so much, he also paid for the application. He paid for the unbelief. The Lord Jesus did not pay for the unbelief of the whole world, right? If he would have paid for the unbelief of the whole world, the whole world would have been saved. He paid a huge price, sufficient for the expiation of sin of the whole world. But he has saved, he has paid the price for his people to also give them repentance, to give them faith, to give them holiness, to give them the will, to give them the choice, to give them the touching of the hand. What a comfort to belong to him who has satisfied for all my sins. Satisfied. So that means that the Lord Jesus on the cross could say it's finished. The Father gave proof of that in the resurrection. The Lord Jesus said so, that he finished the work that he had to do. And his people agrees with that. They agree with that. They agree with that he paid a full price so that they don't have to add anything. And that is such a comfort. A comfort that comes not only once, but more often. When they continue resort to that cave of Adela. When they see it again, when the Lord makes it new again, and gives his Holy Spirit again, and witnesses with their spirit, and then they have that social comfort. Wherever they are, in prison, in the cave, in difficult circumstances, they can sing of God's mercies. That's a comfort in life and death. 
No way you are God's treasure, the apple of his eye, his peculiar people. And nothing can possibly separate from the love of God. Another example for the young people. When I was young, I collected stamps. You can hardly see stamps anymore, but we collected stamps. And so we had books filled with stamps. And we exchanged them, and we purchased them, and we purchased new ones, and we hoped that they would increase in price. And but you have an album of those, of those stamps. I still have them. You open them. You cannot just with your hands take a stamp out, right? You need tweezers because you don't want to damage them, especially not the expensive ones. And I don't know what the most expensive has been. I forgot about that. But let me say there was one of $20, or 20 guilders. You were just so proud of that, of that, of that, of that stamp. So you would like to show to someone how perfect it was. You, t- you took your plastic or metal tweezers and you just took it out. And you could l- look at the light and say, be uh, very careful with it. This, this is very special. This is very tender. So the more expensive the stamp was, the more careful you were. And so the Lord has his people. He purchased his people with such a high price. They're so precious to him. He just makes sure that nobody touches them, that nobody harms them, that he will save their soul. He will not lose them. There's a special love for them. And it is such a comfort if you may belong to that people that the Lord is so careful with. Being his jewelry. What is thy only comfort in life and death? That I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own. See that? Body and soul. That's comfort. That the church may believe that their body has been purchased. Their body was paid for. That their body will also enjoy salvation. The body? I thought the body went to the grave. And the Lord cares for their souls. What about the resurrection? They will also rise. And the Lord has paid for that body as well. And the body will rise. And they will have a new body. Nobody will say, I'm sick. But they have a literally physical body again. Immortal, but yet real. And it's the same body as they have now. So that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Faithful. He does not forsake the works of his own hands, When he has paid for someone, he does not let go anymore. Who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins. Fully. And deliver me from all the power of the devil, it continues. So the Lord hasn't only paid, he also has delivered. He has redeemed. He has disconnected them from Satan, from world and sin. Satan has captured people, right? Everyone is a slave by nature. We are all falling by nature, and we enjoy the slavery and hate the liberty. We heed the call to seek freedom, but we rather serve Satan. People are intoxicated and unwilling. Therefore, Stephen said in Acts 7, 
ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. To resist him. Feeling at home in sin and, and, and in the world. There is by nature no cooperation at all. But hostility, bias, religious, reformed hostility. Until the Lord comes and conquers a person and wins the person over with the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord takes the weapons away. And he does not bind and capture, but gives a new heart and a new will. And sinners capitulate and are made sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. See, that's the last line of the first answer. And makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. By nature, we are not willing. By nature, we don't care too much about that. But he makes sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him, not to live for yourself anymore, but to live for another. Before that, before being delivered, we live unto self for our own pleasure, according to our own liking, for our own wealth, for our own fame, focused on self, there's only one person, most important, that, that, that's me. You know, when, I, when people ask you, who do you love the most? What would you answer? You know, I have heard mentally challenged people answering that question. Who do you love the most? And she said, myself. And that is, that's, that is that's, that's by nature. By nature, we love self the most. We uh, are probably ashamed to say that. But how real that is. And that is our sin, right? And what a comfort it is when the Lord yet comes and changes the heart and lets you live unto him. Have you discovered that? Did the Lord break your shackles? Did you... Not want to just please yourself anymore, and you feel ashamed and guilty for having served self so long. You begin to see the need of deliverance there is when the Lord comes. There's the delight in the law of God after the inner man. Example? Example of that change. Well, everything may have revolved around money, investments, and real estate, and capital gain, and it meant so much, and people are sometimes driven by greed. It's unto themselves. And when the Lord gives a new heart, it is different. You may have your weaknesses, it's different. It does not mean so much anymore, because you like a different comfort. And the Holy Spirit also assures of eternal life. You read here, right? These are all pieces from the Bible, by the way. So preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yet all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. He assures me. How can I have a comfort if he does not assure me that the Lord Jesus is my Savior? Now, two Bible texts, or three Bible texts, and a quote about that, about being assured. Who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. 
the earnest, the seal of the Spirit in your heart. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he seals it to your heart. He tells you within. The Bible becomes so powerful and so convincing that you feel kind of, he's talking to me. And you just, the Lord takes the doubts away. Again, who has sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That is 2 Corinthians 1, 22. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, we read something similar. Now he, now that, now he that has wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. And Galatians 4 and because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So it is also the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart. Have you told yourself you're saved? As the Lord told you. Do you know about the Holy Spirit sealing it and bringing it to your heart? Here is the quote. If someone doesn't seem to know, if they have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, again, if someone does not seem to know if they have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, it's fair to assume that they don't have it. If you have it, you should know it. Give a man an electric shock. And I warrant you, he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. That's Spurgeon, right? So when the Holy Spirit comes and assures you, you, you know it. You know it. You know it as well as you feel the electrical shock. You don't say, oh, what did I feel? I don't know if, I, don't know if I felt anything. No, you're just shaking stuff. So imagine being stressed, afraid, doubting, no comfort, and the Holy Spirit assuring you that you are paid for, that you belong to the peculiar people, that you are going to heaven, that you go home, makes all the difference. What you could do tonight or tomorrow, this week, is make a list of all the things bothering you. Your child, your disease, your financial situation, make a list. And then you can write a list in the sense of, I'm concerned about. And then you let every sentence end with birth. And then I'm just wondering if you can put something behind there. Something like, I'm hurting, but I'm going home. Or I am a widower, but I have an only comfort in life and death. Or I lost my job, but the Lord Jesus is my comforter. He comes alongside. So make, make a list and see if you can fill the second part in, or do you have to leave it blank? You can't write anything there. You've all, you've all those concerns listed and all the buts, and then there's nothing behind there. Is that you? You don't have an only comfort in, in those situations? That's just it, all the concerns and nothing more? This assurance is based upon the Bible, by the way. The Lord applies the Bible, applies the Word 
with his Holy Spirit. It's not an audible voice, not a dream, not something extra-biblical. The Lord works through the Word and Spirit. The doctrine of the only comfort through Christ brings the last thought. Congregation, you know that the hybrid catechism is divided in three pieces. First about misery and then about deliverance and then about gratitude. But why does Lord's Day 1 then begins with comfort? Why does it not start with the creation or with election or with the word? It begins with comfort. That proves unto us what Zechariah Jerzenus want to tell us. By the way, Zechariah Jerzenus is simply Zechariah's bear. Jerzenus is the Latin word for bear, so he was called in German Zechariah's boar. And we in English say Zechariah's bear, but we are used to the name Jerzenus, right? He had a very tender heart young man, a theologian, and he was asked to summarize the Bible. And he thought, I'm not going to start with creation or with election or with eternity. I start with comfort. I see that as bait. B-A-I-T. Bait. That he tries to just Warm people up for it. It's asking interest. Is there interest in that? What do you want? What do you want in this life? Would you like to have the only comfort or not? So that's the reason why he starts in such a warm and inviting way. Just making us jealous, hopefully, right? That people would leave the church and say, wow. What a comfort in life and death for body and soul and being satisfied and paid for and being assured and live unto him. That is so much, it's overwhelming. I seek that. For sure, it was not Zechariah's opinion to just teach doctrine, to just teach the old truth in the hope that people have it stored in their brain, and that's it. No, he wanted more. He wanted it in the heart, so that the doctrine becomes a comforting doctrine. That's the purpose. That's why we have Lord's Day sermons. That's why we have catechism classes, right? Not to just pump you full with doctrine, so you may just be able to spit it out and repeat after us that you would, would be touched in your heart and see that the talk is alive and is doing something. And yet you will hear a lot about doctrine in the coming Sundays, right? The Lord's days are all about doctrine. But as long as you remember that doctrine, he means something warm, something of a teaching of the most important things. Doctrine. But is it right to preach from the catechism? Should we not preach from the Bible? Is that not competing with the Bible? Is it right to just go over a hyper-catechism section and just, uh, just spin it out and unpack it word by word and Deal with the catechism as if it is the Bible. Well, we have to be careful with that. Some people accuse us, you, you need to know, they accuse us of having a paper pope. A paper pope. We don't have a, a, a pope, right? Who is infallible. We don't have that. We resist that. We say the Bible is the word of God. But some people say, yeah, but you have next to the Bible a, a, a catechism and a, a Belgian confession and a Kings of Dort, and that's your Pope. 
Absolutely not. All the scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, but not the creeds, not the confessions. So what is the function, what is the sense of having sermons following the hypergatism? Well, the, the confessions are not verbally inspired. We do not preach them in that sense. We preach the Bible, but we have our catechism in the other hand. And we see how the church of all ages, who God's people together, have explained the Bible before. So we join the church in reading the Bible together instead of you by yourself. You know, some people, I have known some people, and they did not read any old forefathers, any sermon, nothing. They only had the Bible, nothing else, and they say that should be enough. But you know, when you do that, that you call individualism, it is, that is not what the church is like, right? that you're that by yourself, you just, you can't, you can't do that. You don't have the capacity to do that. To the whole Bible, and to know all those sides of, this, of, of, of the doctrine, and to have be, be, be sound in that, that's, that's not real. You need that together, and not individually. Proverbs 15, verse 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. I also thought of the first congregation in Jerusalem after Pentecost. You remember that? You know this text. Now, when they heard this, it pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brethren, what shall we do? So they are touched in their hearts, but then they were also busy. Acts 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his words were baptized, and the same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the first congregation of Pentecost was steady and continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, it says. Apostles' doctrine. So they just talked about it and wrote things down. and said, this is what the Bible says. That's why we also have the 12 articles of faith. For the same reason, the Lord has given also office bearers. The church without office bearers and without confessions turns out to be a sect often. They have no balance. Ephesians 4, we read it this evening. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers why? For the perfecting of the saints, perfecting of the saints, so God's people need more perfection for the perfection of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness by the lying way to deceive. See, this, oh, there's this wind, right? Like a couple of days ago, there was wind. And we hope for more wind and rain. When it's windy, then you see those leaves rolling over the parking lot again and over the streets and over the lawns. And so the Apostle Paul said, there's always wind 
always the wind of false doctrine. Just blowing the leaves all over the place. And because of that fact that, that there is deceit and that Satan is lurking and wants to deceive people and uphold people. I mean, hold people back. Therefore, you need the office bearers. That we are not like most, not anymore like children. Just from one place to another place, running around the table and then in this room and then that room. No, no balance, no calm. No, we need to be calm and not be carried about with every wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love may grow up and into him in all things. This is the head, even Christ. So therefore, we believe that we must abide in the truth. And the doctrine is so important that we read in 2 John, verse 1, Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, if someone does not stay there and remains in it, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. And he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, together with others, abiding in it, he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. See? So the doctrine is important. The doctrine brings that only comfort. So when you go home now, make maybe already in your thoughts a mental list of all the things you're concerned about and ask yourself the question if you can say something after that, but if you can say it, but I'm going home. But I have a city of foundations whose builder and maker is God. But he has satisfied for my sins. But, oh, is it empty? Bow your knees and seek only comfort because it is a Savior who is good at it and can comfort you in such a way that you're fully comforted. That is the only comfort in life and death. Amen.